Hi there, welcome to the webinar on using social media for researchers. And today we're going to look at using websites in particular. So I think all researchers should have a website, particularly if you're wanting a longer term career in research and you're looking to make perhaps some money out of consulting or engaging with industry. So if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on all of the popular social media channels. Uh, getting in touch by any of them would be a great way to continue this conversation if building a website or getting on social media is something that you're interested in. We're recording today, so just bear that in mind. In terms of how I present, uh, I tend to talk a bit quickly, so if it's too quick for you, feel free to tell me to slow down or repeat myself. Or of course, if you're watching this, uh, at a later date, obviously pause, rewind, fast forward, whatever it is that you think you need to do. All of the things that I talk about today, I run as workshops as well as in coaching programs. And I'll talk a little bit more about those later on. The information here is mostly my intellectual property. I feel free to share it on any of the social media channels or to take it down for your own purposes. My only request is that you acknowledge that it's from me. Uh, and of course, if I cite another source, uh, please make sure that you acknowledge that source in anything that you share as well. So I came to working with researchers as being a career coach, helping PhD students and academics answer the question of what next. And mostly that looks like helping them write grants or helping them write proposals, helping them on social media. And as we're going to discuss today, helping them write websites. And it's all about getting at the intersection between what researchers want to say and what other people might be interested in. And other people could be anyone or um, anything. So we could talk about industry partners or we could talk about individual researchers or individual people that are in uh, industry themselves. So when I talk about having a website, I mean more than a university web page. I mean something more like this that might be branded, not necessarily as heavily as my website, but certainly branded with your details and your information. So we have a look at something like this. This is a researcher from Monash University, and you can see that um, it's all branded him. He's got his own, he's into proteins and protein folding, and you can see that that's exactly what the website shows. So that begs the question, why would you build a personal website? I guess there, for me, there are five reasons to do that. The first is to control your online content to, so that you can have something online that perfectly represents you in the way that you want to be represented and found. The next is to maximize what you can put online. Certainly there are some restrictions about what you can put on so certain social media channels, your personal university webpage, they might restrict what you put online as well. Um, so it can maximize what you can put out there. The next is to make it easier to move around. Uh, jobs are relatively portable and you might find yourself moving from one university to another and then you need to rebuild your university webpage over and over. Instead, if you have a personal website, you can have limited information on your university webpage and just point that to your personal website where you have everything, your whole history and where you work is almost irrelevant to that. Uh, it's a good repository for all of your work data uh, and it can also be a good repository for your personal data and you can develop your own personal or work interests or an intersection of the two. And like I said, you can post whatever you want. You don't, you're not restricted by university policy or what a social media website defines as good content or um, you don't have to follow journal guidelines, you can post opinion, etc. 
So if we have a look at something like controlling your own content, so if we take Jamie Rostron, the example that I showed earlier, uh, if we do a Google search for him, you can see what comes up. The first sort of three or four are all about um, him. So this is his, the first uh, link there. This is his webpage on the Monash University website. And you can see um, that here on the, the website section here that he's linking to, uh, to his particular page. Uh, uh, and, you, and that actually redirects to, to this page where he controls all of his information. So you can see he has a lot of information around um, what he wants to show other people. He's got his research, information about his lab group, all of his publications. So because the lab that he manages is so large, he has a career section as well, as well as events and contact us, so quite large overall. If we take another researcher, uh, this person also happens to be from Monash University. Again, Sharon Ricardo, we just did a search for, for her name. Um, you can see a number of results come up. So this is her Monash University page and all of this data that in the example of Monash University builds is taken from data repositories that the university keeps on Sharon. So that's, um, so for example, if we were able to click on the network section, we'd see where her collaborators come from um, nationally and internationally. And that's based on her grants and her uh, articles that the university has access to. It's a useful little graphic, but if she changes jobs or changes location, then that network diagram becomes less and less relevant. And same with all of these other things. These are all related to Monash University rather than related to her entire career. And then um, as you can see, there is no web page listed on on this um, page itself. You have to go back to Google and then have a look at another web page for her about this is the, the research lab that she's part of and she's listed as the group leader. And of course she has some control over how this is presented, um, but not entire control and the, the layout, et cetera, all has to conform to the university style guide. Um, and you can see in the number of pages that I've showed you so far from Monash, there's a whole lot of different style guides that are in our operation. And so the idea that you would create your own web page, therefore you can create your own style, your own color scheme, all of those things are entirely up to you. So if we take someone more prominent, uh, Peter Doherty, who's won a Nobel Prize, you can have a look. Firstly, um, unfortunately for him, there is... Um, another famous Peter Doherty. And so that person tends to top the list. But if we look then, or the news articles anyway, um, and if you have a look down at the websites that are linked up here, you've got the Institute that's named after him and his website on that Institute. And again, limited control over what's there. Obviously he is a senior person in the Institute. So he has a large say in what gets put up there, but um, not necessarily um, the entire say. Then this is the information off the university webpage. Um, you know, you might have a think that some of these um, websites don't have the most up-to-date information. Certainly the picture is different from the one that's um, on his Doherty Institute website. And so there's a missed opportunity there for him to talk about the kinds of things that he's done. And I guess maybe some people aren't comfortable with the idea of self-promotion, but certainly that is one of the opportunities that he's perhaps missing. Um, if we take another person, again, also from the Doherty Institute, Professor uh, Sharon Lewin. So again, a Google search, you can see this is the website that comes up for the Doherty. You can see this is her University of Melbourne webpage. And she's also been a university researcher at, uh, researcher at Monash University. And so this is her um, 
Monash University page. And uh, this is the network diagram that I was showing you before, but you can see because she's not really active here anymore, the number of projects she has is low, the research outputs, maybe they are complete for her. There's no picture. It's really hard to get an idea of who she is from this. So if this is the only page that you saw of Sharon Lewin or the only thing that came up, it would be hard for you to get a good understanding of what it is that she does and how she does it. Um, then we have a look at someone else, uh, James Armitage. Um, so he's again been at multiple places and multiple locations. You have a look at his Deacon site. There's uh, no picture there. It's really hard to tell who he is or what he might do. Then he's got his information from Monash University. Again, um, there's some information there, but not a lot and certainly not his current position. And like I said, now he's a Deacon. So that's um, missing as well. And also what comes up for him is a LinkedIn page as well. So you can see that where you are on the internet certainly determines uh, what comes up in the top three or four items when you get searched for on the internet. So if you have your own web page, you can, um, your web page generally comes up quite high on these sort of vanity searches or the searches for your individual name, and then you can control the content. So if we take it, the final example is this other, another researcher, Florence, she's based at the University of Queensland in Australia, and she does have her own web page. So you can see the first two results that come up for her is uh, LinkedIn and her own web page, uh, and then the ones that are more specific to research. So from LinkedIn, obviously, you can you know, get in touch with her or whatever. And then this is her personal web page. So uh, as you can see from this screenshot, um, she combines her um, neuroscience background with her endurance background to come up what, with what she describes as um, inspiration and inspirational speaking. And so from your perspective as a researcher who might build your own website, if you have these um, combinations of interests that you want to develop, then doing it through your own website is probably the quickest and easiest way to do it. And you can see down the bottom here, uh, Florence mentioned speaking and certainly as an academic, you might not think about being paid to speak, but when you but that certainly is a possibility and it's something that um, I believe Florence does do. And then this is obviously her, um, her research gate page. So when we think about building a website, what are the things that are required? There's basically uh, four things. So you need a domain name. So you need somewhere to host it. Uh, you need a system to manage the content and obviously you need some content. So how to pick a domain name. So the easiest thing I think is to have a domain name that is yourname.com. Um, and the reason why I recommend that is it's an easy decision to make. You, you don't need to think about whether it's a pretty name or anything like that. You've had it your whole life. You're used to being referred to by that. If people are looking for you, that's what they'll find. Um, yourname.com is probably going to be cheaper and more available than a more sophisticated name that might relate to the work that you're doing. Um, and obviously it'll be easy to remember both for the people that you already know and for the people that meet you, they only need to do a Google search for your name and they can find your website. However, some people find it odd to have a website with their name.com and my, I was of the same view and, um, but then I forced myself to do it and now it's been a much better way to manage my own personal brand. Uh, I guess if your name is Tony Robbins or Gary Vaynerchuk or, you have a very similar name to someone famous, then um, your your name.com could be very expensive. So you might be forced to choose something different. Um, and of course, for some people, you might end up changing your name or your title and thus um, you might find that you don't like the first name that you chose. 
Um, and in some cases with long names, it might be hard for others to type. And particularly when you start including email addresses, that could be a difficult thing. But overall, I think yourname.com is probably the best place to start. And certainly I wouldn't spend ages um, trying to work out what the best domain name is. Start with yourname.com and then work out um, what you might change it to later. So where do domains get registered? So domain registration is um, a bit like the the house address, as it were. It's the easy thing to remember in, in a website. So these all need to be kept in a registry, kept in a database somewhere. So the the numbers and dots or the IP address corresponds to the, the letters of the domain name. And so that you need to pay for this service. And generally they're subscriptions and they need to be re renewed annually. So the prices vary. Um, some places include free domain name registration uh, with other parts of their um, web hosting and web development. Uh, some places offer cheap entry level. So, you know, roughly half price for year one and then um, a bit more in the subsequent years. And you can see from this table that the prices can be as cheap as $12 a year all the way up to $24 or more per year. But on average, you'll look at paying something about $24 or $25 uh, per year for something that is ends in .com. Uh, it doesn't really matter whether you want to use .com or .au. Um, nowadays, you could even choose something more funky like .sci or .science, but you'll start to pay more for those um, uh, more funky um, endings. In terms of hosting, so, so you need somewhere to hold all of your website data and that's called hosting. Uh, you could host it on your own machine in your own house. I would, don't, wouldn't recommend that at all. And it's so cheap now to use a whole range of different service providers. So keeping with the same ones that I presented on the previous page, this time hosting is more on a per month basis. There are other things that come into this as well, such as the, um, the audience that you might expect to visit your website uh, on a daily basis. But for most people, you'll probably be at the lowest tier. So again, hosting is provided free with, within certain services or certain packages um, and generally, and in some cases, not provided on its own. In other cases, you can combine it with other packages. Um, and again, you're looking at somewhere between um, 6 and $12 per month, depending on the commitment that you want to make to it, as you can see. Um, the crazydomains.com.au, which focus on .com.au addresses uh, quite heavily. They're one of the cheapest, but you need to commit for 10 years. That might seem a long time, but ultimately, if you're going to have a career, that is probably about how long you might expect or hope to be in academia. And certainly, a personal web page beyond academia would still be relevant um, in other parts of your life. So it wouldn't be um, a wasted investment. And overall, you could probably expect to pay about $120 a year for hosting, and that should be sufficient for whatever kind of website you want to build. The next is a content management system. So this is kind of like, this is how you do the, the layout essentially of your website. Uh, it's how the information is displayed. It's the images, it's the text. Uh, it's the videos, if you've got them as better, that all is managed via a content management system. And there are lots of different ones out there. 
some of some organizations team up with other proprietary content management system organizations for example godaddy has partnered with wordpress and so they include their web hosting and content management in one package uh, for the first year again these are per month prices and you could um you could expect actually for some of these to be free a lot of them are, are free when you package them up with other parts of building your website so um, as you can see godaddy um, does 12.95 per month but it also includes hosting wix has a free package that also includes hosting square space has a $16 package that includes domain name registration and hosting and um, SSL, which is um, a secure socket layer. So basically it says the website is secure. That's the HTTPS you might see or the padlock on some websites. And then there are other con standalone content management systems that you would need to deploy onto your own servers or your own system wherever your website's hosted and so they include wordpress joomla and drupal but unless you're familiar with um content management systems in general there's probably no need to go down the route of um, any of those three just on, on their own uh, and so ultimately i'd recommend you go with a free package but have it included with something else rather than choosing say something for free that you've then got to go and load on your own server so Overall, I'd, I'd recommend if you're just starting out building your own web page that you go for an all-in-one package and Squarespace and Wix are probably um, some of the easiest and better ones to use. Um, Net registry is quite expensive, but includes a lot of email addresses. So there's 30 email addresses. I don't think you'll ever need that much for your personal website, but you might want to have an email address so that you can be emailed at hello at your name.com or me at your name.com. Um, or whatever email address that you might decide you want to have. Um, and overall, I think if you were spending uh, up to $200 in a year, you get a good website and some good messages there as well. So um, I think that's the way to go. In terms of the kinds of content that you should include, um, that's entirely up to you. Uh, like I've said, with social media, there's probably four things to focus on. Um, the first is what strategy you want to include around social media. So that could be uh, the type of content that you want to fo focus on, who you want to attract by having your website, um, whether you want to post regularly to your website or just have it relatively static, whether you're linking back to your work, whether you're linking back to your journal articles or whether you're going to avoid that kind of thing. That's the first thing to think about in terms of the content. Obviously you need to create the content and post it. So if you're setting out to say, post content to your website every week, then you might make a list of things that you could talk about so that you're not lost for ideas. Um, <clears throat> the other thing to think about is the, whose website do you want to look at and follow and refer to as perhaps a bit of a guide. Um, it's always good to know the kinds of websites that you think are good. And I'll show a few examples of academic websites that you might want to look at later on. Um, and then finally, when you've got your website, going you want to make sure that you're notifying people about it there's no point creating it and not putting it anywhere so that would mean essentially posting it to um, your current university page your um, social media pages and probably in your email address line um, in your email signature line so getting more specific now into content i think there's six categories of content your contact details something about you something about your professional life 
something about your personal life and some kind of call to action. So contact details, I think you probably could get away with just your email, but if you're willing to put your phone number and your social media, those would be useful as well. That makes it really easy for people to find you. And certainly with your social media, you could also expect to connect um, the various feeds. So, you know, have a summary from your Instagram or a summary from your Twitter on your website as well. And that's useful for people to see that you're active on social media too. About you probably would have some kind of summary statement. And, you know, some people call this their elevator pitch or their vision statement for them as a person. Um, you might cover off the kinds of people that you work with and what you work on, as well as your likes and dislikes. And if you wanted to in this section, you could also include the kind of people that you like to work with. So a statement about the future you, a statement about the kinds of things that you'd like to do if you were given the opportunity to. And that's a good call to action to, for people who visit your site to think about um, how they might work with you in the future, not just um, the kinds of stuff that you've done in the past. So if there's something specifically that you're looking to do, um, including it in this section is useful. Of course, then we've got your professional side. So that's in, again, up to you what you include there. Um, you could focus on one or more of your research, your education, your publications, your grants, your awards, your presentations. But I think one useful thing to include on here as well is the paid um, gigs that you're looking for that you've been involved in. So this is not so much grants, but this could be paid presentations, paid workshops, paid training. And if that's something that you'd like to do more of, you might include um, a call to action around or, or a request that the people reading the website might get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about a technique that you're really good at, or if they're learning more about an analysis that you're really good at, or if they're keen to work with a cohort that you have easy access to, then that might be the kind of thing that you put on there as a, whatever, as a paid gig. Um, what you put in terms of research or education is entirely up to you. Some people put the um, courses that they teach or the expertise that they have. Some people put the out, some of the um, outputs of their research, obviously publications, but people might write a blog, say, about their research. You could list your grants if you wanted to and your awards as well. It's a, it's a good way of collating all the information relating to your professional life. Uh, that might not be easy to include, say, on somewhere like LinkedIn if you're not comfortable working there or if you're worried about how long your CV might be or you're worried that Google Scholar doesn't do a good enough job or ResearchGate doesn't do a good job, you can link it all via here. And all of those sites, ResearchGate, um, LinkedIn, they all allow you to link to your um, website so you can quite easily refer people to your personal website. Some people also like to include their personal life and this is entirely up to you whether you feel like you want to do this or not. You could cover things like your hobbies, your pets, your family, your passions. Uh, it's entirely up to you. Uh, bear in mind that, um, for example, if you start talking about your family, they might not be particularly interested in having their information on the internet. So just be careful about that. Um, and obviously, um, you might also find that if you're posting about your personal life, people start asking you about your personal life in um, when they meet you and it can feel a bit strange that they know stuff that you thought was somewhat unique to you or somewhat um, secret that actually wasn't. So the call to action is about asking people to work with you or for you. So you could have a call to action that's around the work that you do. You could have 
So that might be, for example, recruiting participants to join a study. Uh, you could have a call to action that's about collaboration. So you're looking for particular experts or you could have a call to action around hiring people. You could have a call to action about look, actually looking for paid work, although I'm not sure that that would be that effective. You could have a call to action about looking for grants or the kinds of grants that you're interested in. Um, or you could have a call to action about the kind of work that you're looking to do as a paid piece of, let's say, consultancy. Um, and so this would be somewhat explicit. It would say either get in touch for these kinds of services or it would say I offer training programs in or it would say I am looking for a collaboration in, etc. So it really is a call to ask someone, ask the reader, ask the viewer what it is that you're after. So what do some examples of personal academic websites look like? Well, I guess the answer is simple. They look like any other website that might be out there. So you've got stuff like this. Um, so Dr. Yolanda, you can see she's got a whole bunch of stuff. This website, you can um, scroll down. If you Google Dr. Yolanda Covington Ward, you'll find it. The URL that she's chosen to use is .covington-award dash ward.com so it doesn't include her first name or her um title and you can see she's got research publications and news in there as well as her teaching um, and this is mostly a scroll through web page so you'll scroll down through this page um, then we've got uh heath fogg davis and you can see he's chosen to present his phd differently rather than being doctor his heath fogg davis phd his URL is heathfogdavis.com. Uh, this web page, I don't know what it's built in, but it looks like it's built in WordPress. Uh, and you can see again, he's got about him. Um, he's got different stuff that he offers and you can see he's got an actual consulting section. So uh, you could imagine that that would have a call to action in there around working with him as a consultant. And you can even see in the summary there, um, he does talk about building a gender inclusive organization and he has workbooks, etc. And you can see the order that he's chosen to present stuff in is different to the order that Yolanda has chosen to present stuff in. So she's got about me research publication news and teaching towards the end. Whereas you've got, um, uh, Heath's got his consulting in the middle, his research towards one side and he's teaching, um, near his contact details. So the order is entirely up to you as well. Um, Mimi, she's written a few books. So obviously she's got those front and center and you can buy those straight away. So again, a strong call to action around buying books from her. This is another vertical page. Um, and again, her URL is mimitainuan.com. And she's got a secure website. Um, and for that matter, so does Heath, uh, whereas Yolanda doesn't. So that just means the HTTPS for Heath and for Mimi rather than just HTTP. Um, generally the HTTPS sites are more trusted by Google, um, than just a HTTP site, which can be important for finding your site, um, in searches. For Jessie Stomel, um, you can see there's not a lot of mention of her PhD there. Um, and for that matter, Mimi doesn't either. Um, Jessie's URL is https as well and it's um jessiestommel.com and you can see she's got a, a whole a bio section and a cv section 
Um, and you can see the website for her again. It's another vertical site, but it's basically a blog site. So all of these posts that you can see, they're all blogs that she's written. Uh, the next and the final example I've got is um, Minha T. Pham. And so her, um, she's not gone for a secure site. Um, and her URL is minhr-t-fam.mystrikingly.com. So I presume the um, mystrikingly.com is the uh, provider of this. It's probably free, I'm guessing, from that, given that it's included in the URL there. Um, and you can see hers is a, a vertical website as well. And you can see she's got the kinds of stuff that he does. Her research is right up front. Um, she's written a book and she's trying to sell that as well. Uh, she's got events, projects, media, etc. So you can see that there's a vast variety in the way that people present themselves on the internet uh, as in an academic website. And of course, there were the two ex the examples that I showed earlier of um, the Ross John lab that he's, he's referred to it as because of perhaps how big it is relative to these individual researchers. So just in summary, firstly, decide on a, na a domain name. Uh, Yourname.com is probably the best option. Select somewhere to host and manage the site. And I think an all-in-one alternative such as Squarespace or Wix is the best place to start out. Um, choose a layout, Squarespace and Wix. And for that matter, uh, GoDaddy had a lot of built-in layouts um, within their sites. Um, you'll probably find Wix and Squarespace quite easy to use because a lot of the layouts are drag and drop for content and content holders. Um, so you're probably more familiar with that than say having to think about the layout, if that makes sense. Populate with some, your summary statement and your contact details and then publish and then um, update your other websites or other information with your new website details. It's pretty much that simple um, to do. And I guess ongoing, it's how you use it that um, is how you get the most impact out of it. Hopefully that was useful for you building a website. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. In terms of what else is going on, um, next week I'll look at being a more resilient researcher and how you can have to develop resilience as a researcher. Uh, the week after I'll look at building an enhanced PhD program. So that's particularly aimed at people who might be in the graduate schools rather than for PhD students or academics per se. Um, and then just before the end of the year, we'll look at um, completing your PhD faster using some technology. If you liked this webinar, uh, I highly recommend going and looking at the other ones on social media. So there's ones that I've done on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please leave them down below. Finally, next year, I'll be starting a coaching program for early career researchers and PhD students. If you'd like to get involved, uh, send me a message, uh, richard.heismans at drrichardheismans.com and I will um, sign you up to get some more information. Thanks for your time.